Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Fame is the most destructive and addictive drug known to man. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about. Today, we're gonna to talk about fame and the price of celebrity with Bill O'Reilly. He's written another great book, Killing the Legends, The Lethal Danger of Celebrity. It's a book about Muhammad Ali, John Lennon, and Elvis Presley. And I get to talk about fame and the price of fame with someone who is very famous, Bill O'Reilly. We'll do all that and more on today's episode of Fearless. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Thursday to you and yours. Awesome, awesome show planned for you today on this Thursday, the day before Friday, as you all, as you well know. Uh, TJ Moe, uh, still with me here in studio here in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Bill O'Reilly on deck, we'll talk to him in just a few seconds, be patient. Uh, John McEntee. He's gonna be here. He started a dating app. He used to work for Donald Trump. He's now started a dating app for conservatives. I can't wait to talk to him about that. Jill Savage and Tiffany Oldham and Shamika Michelle will help me talk with John McEntee about his dating app. And we'll hear from my main man, Primetime Stein, Alex Stein, 99, always on the grind. Uh, fantastic, awesome show playing for you today. Let's get right to it and bring on the great Bill O'Reilly. Bill, uh, thank you for joining me. I, I, I love the fact uh, that you're addressing the price of celebrity. Uh, th this is a yeah. topic that I talk about all the time. Fame is a killer. Thanks. Do you yeah, agree? Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me in, Jason. There's two tracks here. There's the fame track that you uh, well know how destructive that is. And then there's a culture track that these three men, um, Lennon, Presley, and Muhammad Ali, changed American culture the way we live now. And that's why I wrote it as a history book. It's not People Magazine stuff. It's not, not any of that. It's that these guys were titans and they lost control of the process, um, their frame crushed them and led to their demise. And um, you know as well as anybody that you can get through fame, but it's not easy. So John Lennon was murdered, and you've got this whole killing series of books you've done, and John Lennon was murdered, uh, Muhammad Ali, Parkinson's, and head trauma or whatever eventually uh, took him out. Elvis Presley, drug overdose or, or something along those lines took Elvis out. But explain to me how you feel like fame is the common theme that destroyed all these guys. Okay, so these guys were the biggest in the 1960s, biggest individuals on the planet, these three. Uh, Presley killed himself 
he had to know that uh, taking all of those narcotics every day was going to lead to his death. He had to know it. Um, an interesting uh, thing for your audience, if you want to Google Elvis Presley 1968 comeback special, you'll see a man in his prime. And then 10 years later, 10 years later, it's like not the same human being. Presley had to know, had to see with his own eyes what was happening to him. Yet he didn't stop. And uh, so I put his death down as he wanted to die. He couldn't handle the world anymore. Lenin is a little bit different, but with some similarity. So Lenin, this gregarious guy, arrives here in 1964 with his bandmates, the Beatles, changes the whole culture into sex, drugs, rock and roll, which we have now. All right. That's the Beatles were the spear point of that. Magical Mystery Tour, um, Sergeant Pepper, all that. In the beginning, Lennon is a gregarious leader of the band. I think McCartney was more talented, but Lennon really was the upfront guy. And he seemed to enjoy himself. But later on in the 60s, he runs into Yoko Ono, who then begins to control his whole life. Lennon gives her all of his autonomy, and at the same time becomes a heroin addict. Could you believe this? Uh, why? It's just incomprehensible. It's like Elvis Presley. You don't become a heroin addict unless you want to hurt yourself. You don't. And he did kick it. Lenin kicked it. But all of that turbulence surrounding Lenin all right, led to a decline in his life. And then Chapman assassinated him through no fault of his own. I mean, Lenin had nothing to do with that. But Lenin was on the ropes before that happened. Ali uh, sells his uh, whole life to the Nation of Islam. And they take over everything. And I interviewed Ali. I didn't think he was a racist. I don't think he was a hate whitey guy. I didn't see that. But certainly the organization, the Nation of Islam, run by Farrakhan now, was. And they basically told Ali what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. And they had him in the ring far too much, and it injured his brain. And that led to his demise. So that's the common thread among the three. So, Bill, in doing your research and writing this book and just understanding culture the way that you do, do you think these three guys were good or bad for American culture? I think they were good, generally speaking. So in the 1950s, post-World War II, everybody was a conformist. All right, everybody did the same thing. Um, and there are a lot of injustices in our society. And obviously, African-Americans led that list. And nothing really was being done about it. Elvis comes in. And single-handedly on the Ed Sullivan show, singing a dopey song called Hound Dog, crashes the culture, the entire culture. And rock and roll rebellion comes in, replacing conformity. The next day after Elvis appeared on Sullivan, pastors all over the country were going, he's an agent of Satan. Parents were telling their boys, you don't slick your hair back. You don't wear that leather jacket. But Elvis won. It's an amazing historical thing. And that culture changed. And then in 64 to 69, it changed again. And then Ali, by refusing to go into the armed forces, raised dissent to the highest level ever. 
So all three of these guys are historical titans, and most people don't understand that, Jason. Bill, it's interesting to hear you say force for good, which I would probably tend to lean that way, but now sitting here in 2022, when there's zero respect for authority, zero respect for America and, and respect for American patriotism, uh, and, and uh, a culture that's just lost in sinful lust, maybe the critics back in the 50s and 60s were right that this was always gonna be the slippery slope that got us to where we are right now. That's an interesting analysis, and it's, and it's true, um, but not totally true. So dissent is good. The Founding Fathers wanted a robust debate in America. In the 50s, you didn't have it. So rock and roll rebellion and, to some extent, the anti-war movement brought in a different point of view. But then it got hijacked. That all got hijacked, okay, by the progressive left, which hates America and wants to destroy our culture. That's what happened. Now, Lee, he's a little bit different. So to the African-American community, Ali was and remains a hero because he elevated blacks to the fact, to the point where they had the best athlete in the world, which he was, right before their eyes. And he was like vanquishing a lot of the oppressors of the black community. So Ali was this unbelievable hero. And people did not know that how he was being used, how the black Muslims were stealing his money, how they were putting him at risk by putting him in the ring when he was damaged. And one of the, some of the finest writing I've ever done is the opening of the Ali section in Killing the Legends, where I put you, Jason, and every other reader right in a ring where Joe Frazier almost killed Muhammad Ali, and Muhammad Ali almost blinded Joe Frazier. That's how intense that fight was. But after the fight, Freddie Pacheco, the fight doctor, told Ali, you can't get back in the ring for a year. Four months later, guess who was back in the ring? Mm. So, Bill, as it relates just singling in on Muhammad Ali, I, I think uh, his relationship, obviously, with the Nation of Islam is complicated. But I, I do think they also, while maybe exploiting him also elevated him, gave him a platform to stand on, a, a worldview and a point of view that led him to make some decisions, refusing induction into the war, things that have made him celebrated. But, but where, I, where I think we've lost track is like, imitation is the highest form of flattery, but I'm looking at modern athletes do a bad impersonation of Muhammad Ali. When I look at LeBron James, when I look at Colin Kaepernick, when I look at a lot of these pampered, coddled, millionaire athletes, they're all trying to do a Muhammad Ali impersonation, and it's just horrible. They don't know what they're doing. There's no substance to what they're doing. And so while imitation can be flattering, it can also be destructive if done by the wrong people who are clueless and are really doing it just to glorify and enrich themselves. I agree 100%. And what the element uh, they lack is the struggle. Ali out of Louisville, not educated, smart, 
but not educated. Support system very shaky. Uh, goes to the Olympics, proud to represent his country, wins the gold medal. All right. Comes a celebrity. I'll submit to you, Jason, that Muhammad Ali could have done a lot more good had he not gone into the nation of Islam. I mean, for himself, he would have done been light years ahead because they took his money and they put him in ring when he shouldn't have been in there. But as a patriot, as somebody who I believe in the beginning did respect his country, Muhammad Ali, he could he was second only to Martin Luther King in influence among African-Americans. And if he had taken that road of, look, we know things aren't the way they should be in America, particularly with blacks, and we're going to improve it. We're going to improve it. He could have driven change a lot faster than by going over to the black Muslims. I'm, I'm a, that's a provocative thought. I can't give you a full response to that right now. I'm going to think about it. But what I did cross my mind is because this has crossed my mind several times over the past few years. Ali could have been George Foreman. And, and people will hear that first and go, well, that's an insult. But George Foreman, uh, the second half of his life, after losing the rumble in the jungle, he becomes heavyweight champion again late in life. He's got his health. He's a celebrated person. He's very patriotic and supportive of America. And, and you'd have to ask yourself, who would you rather be? Muhammad Ali or George Foreman. Muhammad Ali has a great legacy and memory, uh, or he's attached to history more than George Foreman, but what, the last 25, 30 years of Muhammad Ali's life were horrible, and, and the last 30 years of George Foreman's life are perhaps his best life ever. Who would you rather be, George Foreman or Muhammad Ali? That's true. And, and that's a good analogy because Muhammad Ali sacrificed his entire autonomy, gave his entire autonomy to the nation of Islam, Herbert Muhammad. When they told him to do something, he did it. Lenin, his entire autonomy to Yoko Ono. Elvis, his entire autonomy to Colonel Tom Parker. Whether you're famous or not, if you give your personal authority, your personal power to someone else, it is not going to turn out well. Let's, because you have a level of fame, not at Ali or Lennon's level, but a high level of fame, is fame a good thing in your mind? Are there benefits to being famous? I really don't think there are. Get, getting a seat at any restaurant you want, I don't consider that some great benefit. Having people want your autograph and applaud you when you walk into a room, I don't see that as some great benefit. I, I don't see any real benefits to fame. What, what do you say to that? that? Well, I have uh, raised an enormous amount of money for vets who were severely injured and children. And I could not have done that without my fame. So that's a huge positive in my life. I wanted to be famous. I wanted everybody to know my name like in Cheers. But I didn't do it because I wanted a mansion or a Ferrari. I don't care about material things. I did it because I wanted to be the best at what I do. Journalist, historian, 
And I wanted people to recognize that. I had no blanket idea, Jason, the downside. And I should have, unlike Lenin and Presley and Ali, I'm well-educated, the Harvard degree. I have a stable family growing up. All right. I didn't have any advantages. I didn't have anybody doing anything for me. We're working class people. But I should have been a little bit more aware that if you're going to bloviate every night on television and all the people know you are, a segment of that people are going to try to hurt you. So I can't go down to Nashville and sit with you in the stands at the Titans game today. I can't because. 90% of the people are nice to me. All I want is a picture, a little chat, and I'm fine with it. I like to it. But John David Chapman might be in the stands, the guy who killed John Lennon. And there are crazy people everywhere. And that's what fame does. It isolates the famous person. And it brings them into a surreal world where they're pampered, where uh, it's self-indulgent immediate gratification. None of those things are good for human beings. If you're famous today and you walk out of your house, no matter where you are, if you're a famous person, there's a camera on you every second. People are trying to record what you say to throw it up on the internet to hurt you. And this is debilitating. This sucks the energy out of normal human beings. So Presley, Lenin, and Muhammad Ali, they gave up. This is too much. Let Tom Parker deal with it. Let Yoko deal with it. Let Herbert Muhammad deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. And that's what happened. Bill, you mentioned the drug abuse of John Lennon and Elvis Presley. You, you talk about the price of fame. Are you sympathetic when you see famous people turn to drugs? Another good question, Whitlock. No. You know me, I have to be honest. Everybody knows what drugs do. Everybody. It's no longer reefer madness or, you know, those stupid movies in the past. Everybody knows. John Lennon, you got two children. One he doesn't even see, Julian, because Yoko didn't want him to. And the other is a baby, Sean, what do you have with Yoko? And he becomes addicted to heroin. And I'm supposed to feel sorry for John Lennon. He's got two little kids in, it, in his life. Elvis had a daughter who adored him, Lisa Marie Presley. I'm supposed to feel sorry for Elvis intoxicating himself every single day of his life when he's got a little daughter? I don't. And that could be a character deficit on my part. And so I, I, I'm, I will end here because you started out by saying basically uh, overall these three guys, the icons, are a good influence on America. Some people will hear that and, and listen to this conversation and say, okay, two of these guys got strung out on drugs and that contributed to their demise and in bad relationships and blah, blah, blah. And now we get here to 2022 and everybody, it seems, the culture has moved to, oh, there's nothing wrong with drugs and everybody should use drugs. 
And if, if, if it's not street drugs, it's some kind of prescription. If you have some problem, there's a pill that will fix it. And so That's we right. normalize drug use in every way, legal and illegal. And so I, I, that's what makes me again, are we sure that these celebrity idols that we've created and, and you know these guys were before technology, are we sure they've been a good influence on American culture? Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, they aren't responsible. So Muhammad Ali isn't responsible for the radicalization in some portions of the black community. And some blacks hate whites. It's not Ellie's fault, even though he went into an organization that preached that. Lenin, heroin, that, that's a personal problem. Lenin didn't take it so that other people would take it. Presley was so screwed up, he just, he, he just couldn't get through the day. So their situations are personal. I see it that way. They didn't know that the culture would evolve into a permissive mess run by people who don't believe in Judeo-Christian tradition or personal accountability. None of those people knew that. They didn't know. And their contributions to American society, whether it be entertainment, fabulous entertainment, whether it be for African-Americans seeing the best athlete ever representing uh, their race, um, whether it be uh, the amount of change, some of it positive, in the society so that we could overcome some of these problems that we had that weren't being dealt with in the 1950s. I think the good outweighs the bad. And at the end of Killing the Legends, I have an author's note that I personally write about these three guys and how I see them personally. So you're right on uh, track. It is a complicated situation, as they say. Bill, I, I said last question, but I, I just thought of one more that I, I have to I have to throw in here at the sure. end. I know you can handle it because you're a very smart man. Uh, it's it's you. And again, I know I'm from the sports world, so obviously I know Muhammad Ali, know his history, read books, followed his career. Uh, you know, Malcolm X's book, the autobiography of Malcolm X, probably the book I've read the most. Uh, I probably read it six different times. Uh, and so you've referenced the Nation of Islam, and, and, and I get, and I'm aware of how they use Muhammad Ali's boxing career to enrich themselves and control him. However, I would like to add in, in terms of particularly the Nation of Islam of the 50s and 60s, it, it, it's their anti-white rhetoric in the 50s and 60s, I would contend is a byproduct of the racial oppression that they were experiencing, that black people were experiencing in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. I believe the religion was cooked up in the 30s or 40s, Master Fard Muhammad or whatever, but it's a direct reaction to the oppression they felt. And you know, it's like Newton's third law for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. White racism created the nation of Islam religion. And, and so I guess I'm not as critical of that version of the nation of Islam during that time, considering the oppression that they were facing. Okay, but then if that's your point of view, you have to counter it with Martin Luther King Jr. 
So the way that he galvanized and the, the goal was the same to stop the oppression of blacks in America, same goal. So you do it with hate, you do it with love, nonviolence. Come on, Jason, I know what avenue you would take. No, no, I know what avenue I have taken. I'm a Christian. I'm, yeah. <laughs> you know, I may have read yeah, the autobiography so of Malcolm X many times. I understand but, why you know, they I did what they my did. belief system. Yeah. Yeah, I understand why the Nation of Islam, I understand how they got there. But I also understand how Martin Luther King went through the same thing and arrived at a much more noble place. Let me, I'll even help your argument there, because this is, I've said this, and again, I've read the autobiography of Malcolm X many times, get it, I'm, I'm not anti-Malcolm X. But one thing that people uh, forget is that Martin Luther King fought oppression from the belly of the beast in the South, where people were getting lynched, killed, bombed, murdered, and Malcolm X and the Nation of Islam sitting up in New York and Chicago, that ain't the same as standing in the belly of the beast in the South and Martin Luther King using Christianity to combat it as opposed to some guys using rhetoric from New York and Chicago. Malcolm, Martin Luther King much more brave, much more fierce, much more masculine than the rhetoric of the Nation of Islam. And, and so, you know, to some degree, we're in agreement, uh, or maybe to all degree, we're in agreement. Martin Luther King's path, far more masculine, far more appropriate, far more consistent with biblical values. Uh, the other guys, and again, love the book, can't disrespect Malcolm X, the Nation of Islam, but running your mouth from New York and Chicago, from the safety of New York and Chicago, and comparing yourself to Martin Luther King and people that put their lives on the lines for black people's freedom, it ain't even close. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate you coming right, on Jason, the show. Always talking good about talking this. with you. Thank yep. you for reading the book. One of my favorite Bye. topics. Thank you. Awesome. All right, let's take care of a little business. Getting older is a big adjustment. It's like you're young and healthy, and then at some point you still think you're young, but you realize it's hard to continue to be healthy. Then it gets worse, you realize you're not so young, but you're not too old either. To make matters worse, you might get more of a dad bod or a fat bod or a Whitlock bod, and suddenly it's harder to work out. It's not your fault. As men age, our bodies naturally lose free testosterone. That's because when you were younger, you were at the peak of your testosterone production. Wouldn't it be nice to get that winner's edge again and that old swagger back in your step? Nugenics Total T Testosterone Booster is the number one selling testosterone booster at GNC. It will help you turn back the clock, re-energize your workouts, and get you better results at the gym and help you look and feel like the man you really want to be. Nugenics Total T contains man-boosting key ingredients that, uh, like testophen, which has been validated in five clinical studies shown to boost free testosterone levels in men. Because Nugenics Total T boosts free testosterone and that the aging process robs you of, you'll feel stronger, leaner, and more energy and drive. Now get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total T when you text FEARLESS to 231231. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever with key ingredients to help you get back into shape fast, absolutely free. Text FEARLESS to 231231. Text FEARLESS to 231 
231. All right, you can email me and the crew at fearless at theblaze.com. We invite your feedback. Uh, TJ Moe, I may get him into the next conversation. There it is. to make some money we got a new feature uh the pay your mortgage picks brought to you by bet dsi uh i'll explain here uh in a second about pay your mortgage picks it's got a long history of me and my gambling picks this started with me uh 20 years ago in kansas city when i was doing radio i'd do these pay your mortgage picks and I don't want to brag about my percentage, but it, it was well over 25% of the time I was right. I mean, it was amazing how many homes I, I purchased for people with these picks. I mean, when you hit 25% of your picks, but I promise you, I'm going to do better. I can guarantee you my pay your mortgage picks brought to you by BetDSI will be a home run this weekend, will be a home run for you every weekend, every football weekend, because who knows football better than I do? I'll tell you about our new partners at Bet DSI after I tell you about who to bet on uh, this weekend. Uh, so I'm big on home favorites this weekend. The NFL I, has been specializing in all these fourth quarter, one possession games, uh, but that all comes to an end this weekend. There's gonna be some real blowouts, and I got three of them for you. There's three home favorites that I absolutely love this weekend absolutely love we're gonna pay our mortgages and I got another one coming because my mother wants a new condo and so I need these picks to come through for me TJ yeah. uh, <laughs> so uh, let's start with uh, Pittsburgh at Buffalo the Bills are favored by 14 points here's why Pittsburgh is without TJ Watt Five DBs are nicked, including Minka Fitzpatrick missing practice time, and Cam Hayward is nursing a few injuries as well. This Steelers defense that allowed teams quarterback by Jacoby Brissett and Zach Wilson to average 27 points per game. <laughs> the Steelers are starting a rookie quarterback behind a pedestrian offensive line. Bills quarterback Josh Allen Hasn't forgotten the beating he endured last season when the Steelers upset Buffalo to open the 21 season. <laughs> the Bills offense will score at will this weekend, and this game will be very profitable for everyone. The Bills minus 14, I love it. They're gonna win by more than two touchdowns. If you wanna be greedy, take the over at 46. All right, let's move to game number two, Chicago at Minnesota. The Vikings look to open the uh, season 3-0 against NFC North opponents, having already beaten the Packers and the Lions. Simply put, the Bears offense is horrendous. Quarterback Justin Field is the worst quarterback in the league. He's completing 51% of his passes and averaging a meager 155 total offensive yards per game. The Bears have scored a combined six offensive touchdowns in the first four weeks. And to further bury this unit, they rank 30th in the NFL in yards per drive and yards per play. Minnesota's passing game is starting to wake up and show signs of life. And 
the defense for the first time all season could be 100% healthy. Kirk Cousins has a big game, as does Dalvin Cook. Take the Vikings, minus seven. You'll be paying your mortgage. Vikings win by 15, 16 points here. Take my word. Yep. Uh, oh, you agree with that? No, I like that one. All right, good. Yep. All right, uh, here's my third game of my last of the big favorites. Atlanta at Tampa Bay. Are you kidding me? Tom Brady coming off the news that Giselle is leaving him or they're divorcing. This man will be trying to silence his critics this weekend. He don't want no silly questions about, Tom, did you play poorly because Giselle dumped you? He ain't having that. He ain't having that. Brady is 10-0 all time against uh, the Atlanta Falcons. He's 4-0 as the Bucks QB versus the Falcons with 15 TD passes. His last three starts, the Bucks beat the Falcons by an average of 17 points. What are the chances of Tom Brady losing three straight games? It ain't happening. What are the chances of Tom Brady losing four straight home games? It ain't happening. Atlanta just played, uh, just placed their best player, Cadero Patterson, on injured reserve, and tight end Kyle Pitts is less than 100%. Worst news? I got even worse news. Marcus Mariota, he's healthy. He's playing. <laughs> the Buccaneers are minus nine points. Hop all over that. They're going to crush them. You want to be greedy? Take them in the first half. Take the Bucs in the first half when they're minus five and a half points. Pay your mortgage. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady, he will not be standing in front of a microphone taking a bunch of questions about Tom. You know, uh, you and Giselle split up this weekend. Is that why you played so poorly? That ain't happening. All right. Those are your pay your mortgage picks brought to you by Big Sexy, Big Mouth Sexy Opinions. Uh, let me tell you guys about BetDSI, where I want you to place these bets. Uh, BetDSI is back, and BetDSI is where you can bet and make extra money. Right now, my audience, this audience, this fearless audience, gets a 100% bonus match up to $1,000. Let me repeat that. A 100% match of up to $1,000 for my listeners. All you got to use is my promo code FEARLESS. That is double your money with my promo code Whitlock. I'm sorry, the promo code is Whitlock. Bet with me on NFL, NBA, MMA, and my favorite, <laughs> you can bet on politics as well. Play, win, get paid. If you want the opportunity to win big money, please visit BetDSI, that's DogSamIndiana.com. Use the promo code Whitlock. We can even bet on the 2022 elections. BetDSI has been a leader in the industry for over a decade, and we are happy to have them on board with the Fearless Army. Go to BetDSI.com, use my promo code, Whitlock, W-H-I-T-L-O-C-K, that's BetDSI.com, promo code Whitlock. Please remember to bet responsibly. I certainly will. All right, you can email me feedback at fearlessattheblaze.com. John McEntee and his... We're going to talk about his dating app. We're going to talk about his college football career. We're going to talk about working for Trump. All that. Next. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, welcome back. I'm really excited about uh, this next guest. Uh, John McEntee, uh, he has started a dating app called The Right Stuff, DateRightStuff.com. It's a dating app for conservatives. We're going to talk about it. TJ Moe and I will talk with John McEntee. But we're going to start not by talking about the app, because I'm actually going to bring a couple Jill Savage, Tiffany Odom, and Shamika Michelle onto the show to talk about the, the dating app that John McEntee has started. But... TJ and I are going to kind of get into John's background a little bit. John's here in studio with us. I'm, I'm very excited about, about his app, but I, I want us and I want myself to know a little bit more about him because his background's a little bit fascinating. He was a college football quarterback at the University of Connecticut and then somehow transitioned at a very young age to working for Donald Trump in the Trump administration. And now he's partnered with Peter Thiel and doing this dating app. And so, John, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you and, for having me. Uh, it's I great, wanna, great to be here. Uh, how old are you, for one? I am 32 years old. You've done a lot in, in just 32 years. And so I want to start with, the, you're from California, and you go play quarterback at the University of Connecticut. How did that happen? I always thought it would be really cool to play D1. Didn't have any opportunity to do that. When I was in New York with my mom, I got a random call from a coach at Connecticut who said, hey, we have a preferred walk-on spot. If you're interested, we need an extra quarterback. They probably thought I was gonna run the scout team, which I did. Um, so I thought, huh, I'm in New York with my mom looking at colleges, and I get a call from Connecticut. So I'm like, let's drive over. It was a two hour drive. Got there, saw it, was fascinated, thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. The facility was amazing. Division one, I thought, I'm in. So I went there as a preferred walk-on and then, uh, yeah, I just uh, was the backup for a lot of years, played one year. It was a great experience. Wow. And so you were a, a relatively good high school quarterback, I would assume. Did you get any small college offers? Yeah, there were all the you know D3 offers and some 1AA opportunities. But I thought, well, if I'm going to stick with football, I might as well just go big. Even if I can't play, it'll be fun to be on the sideline and you know go to a bowl game and do all of that. So... I thought if I was going to do it, it would be really great to do it in a Division I program. So when the opportunity came, I just jumped on it. And, and so you were a starter at Connecticut for a full year? A full year, yeah. Wasn't the best year, but a full year, hmm. yeah. Team did how well? Uh, five and seven, just one shy of a bowl game, probably a, one too many interceptions thrown by me. But uh, it was a great, great group of guys, and a lot went on to the NFL and have had really good success. And, and how did you ascend from walk-on to where they thought you were just going to be running the scout team to a starter? Yeah, I mean, I think I just kind of just kept chipping away and just, you know, showed up every day, did my job, and I, uh, yeah, just opportunities presented themselves, guys <laughs> transferred, you just, you know, you become a junior and a senior and you're that guy that knows the offense, that's been there, that can, you know, get it done, so they give you an opportunity, and I was just lucky for the one I got. And then... How do you make the transition at a very, very young age to working for Donald Trump? Well, after football's over, you kind of go home and you're like, now what? Do I still work in football? You know, like this is the only thing I know. 
So I got a random job, was very grateful for it, working for a food company in California, doing my thing. And after a year, I thought, well, is this what I'm going to do? You know, like I should switch it up. I'm still young. I was going to move to Texas. I thought that would be cool. Last minute, my sister says, no, move to New York City. There's a lot more opportunity there. I thought, okay, I'll move to New York City. So I moved to New York City, sleeping on my friend's couch, doing odd jobs, anything I can get. Meet a guy at church who works at Fox News. I'm like, oh, Fox News, I'm conservative. This is great. Like, can you get me in there? He helps me get an entry-level job there. I'm working at Fox News for a few months on the digital team. It was uh, okay. It wasn't a great fit for me, but I was thinking, okay, this isn't a great fit, but I'm kind of in the right sphere now. You know, I'm in conservative world. I'm a conservative guy. Then one day, we're all in our cubicles at Fox, and Donald Trump comes down the escalator. We're watching on TV, and I'm seeing this announcement, and I'm totally inspired by it. I just wanted to work for him. Um, everyone in the office is laughing, they're joking about it. It's the digital team, it's young people, some are liberal. And I thought, I'm gonna do everything I can to work for this guy. I'm gonna just find a way to get in there. So I just bombarded them with emails until they let me show up as a volunteer. Started as a volunteer, worked my way up from there. What about Donald Trump made you, inspired you? I mean, at that time, he's a television personality, New York billionaire with a you know, oversized personality. What made you instantly think, I want to work for Donald Trump and I think he's going to win the presidency? So immediately I was struck by the celebrity and the charisma and the energy. But as he was talking, I thought, every issue he's bringing up is something Republicans are scared to talk about. So I thought, wow, there's really a guy who's like telling it like it is finally. And the issues were super popular with the base. So I thought, this is gonna be really popular. I, I thought he would be president, honestly, um, but I knew he would be the GOP nominee. So I thought, I'm getting in, I'm gonna do anything I can to work for him, and that's what I did. What was that experience like? How long did you work for him? What did, you got any good Trump stories you can share? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I started as a volunteer in the mailroom. I then started going to the debates with the advance team, kind of grew into a travel aid role with him. Um, into the last six months of the election, I traveled full-time with him and the staff, which is a crazy experience. Every day you're going to four, five, six rallies. You're traveling all over the country. And um, it was just a lot of fun. He's a really fun person to work with. Obviously, he has a great personality, yeah. but he's the hardest worker you've ever seen. And in that six months, um, yeah, I don't think there's anyone that worked harder in a six-month period than Donald Trump in the last six months of the 2016 campaign. And so were you going with him to these rallies? Like the, what, what I remember most vividly about the 2016 campaign was he went to like 20 places in four days and they were all, it was Arizona, right. back to Pennsylvania, to Ohio. Yeah, I would even, the pilots actually would get mad at me since I was the travel person, I'd have to tell them, hey guys, I know we just landed and it's, we're at LaGuardia and it's midnight, but at 7 a.m. we're heading to Iowa and they'd be like, we, you know, what? Like we have to get a whole new crew, we have to do, so I'd always be the, the bad news bearer and have to tell them, hey, I know we just did four stops today, but tomorrow it's gonna be five. And they, you know, they freak out on me and I told them, it's all gonna be worth it in the end, he's gonna be president. In the end, one of the pilots said, you were right, it was all worth it, so. And so this is flying around on <clears throat> Trump's private plane. Right, yeah, Trump Force One. At, at, <laughs> at that time, and so, I mean, as a young person, you're in the middle of the biggest news story in the world you're probably just having the time of your life. We were having the time of our life. Um, it was really fun to watch up close. There was only five or six of them, us that were with him full time. 
And yeah, the news was he was driving the conversation every day. So we'd be on the plane, we'd land, and he'd turn and he'd say, watch this. And he'd tweet something. And in about 30 seconds, the news, breaking news, you know, Donald Trump has landed in Iowa and tweeted, you know, whatever it was. So it was really fun to be a part of that. What did you think of his use of Twitter? There's a lot of people critical of it, uh, felt like if he had just stayed off Twitter, he may still be president. No, I think, um, I think part of uh, his personality and part of the way he goes about things is what makes him so great. I think that's why he's a Republican that's finally doing things we've always wanted. I think you kind of have to take the good with the bad, even though it's not necessarily bad. And the only objection to Twitter would be that sometimes he might tweet something and think it was going to be done where people would just say, oh, he just tweeted it. He didn't really mean get the troops out this weekend or he didn't really mean. So that would be the only negative is that people didn't think he was actually, you know, speaking about what he wanted done through it. But him uh, him tweeting. No, it never bothered me. The the people seems like. Once every other month, someone comes out with a new book and says, when I was with the Trump White House, X, Y and Z happened. And and it's not that I'm some Trump homer. It's just I've been in the media long enough to to say, man, most of this stuff is BS. This is made up. It's not said for money. But you having been on the inside, how much of the stuff that's reported in the media did you feel like? was completely inaccurate or fabricated? It's all either completely inaccurate or just greatly exaggerated. I think if you really wanted to know what Donald Trump was like or what it was like working at the White House, you should ask the people that don't have an incentive to lie, that aren't trying to sell a book. You know, just go ask a random person that served as Donald Trump's valet. That's the person closest to him. Ask that guy. It's just a normal guy that's in the Navy. And he'll tell you what he's really like, which is that he's a great boss, totally fun to work with, Always, you know, putting the country first. What do you, is he going to run again in 24? I really don't know. Obviously, everyone I know is praying that that's the case. Um, I think we'd love to see it. I don't have any insight into that. I think it might be more likely than not, but I, I don't have any breaking news. When did you leave the Trump team? So I actually, I did two separate tours in the White House. I was his aide the first year and the last year of the administration. Yeah, the bookends. Huh. And then... Um, uh, so I left, you know, whenever we all left, January 20th of 2021. Got, you, you, I, I came to the White House and interviewed Trump probably three months, I think, before the election. And, and I, was, I was blown away. It was so different than how the media reported it. People, and again, they knew they were in, at that time, they knew they were in a battle and a struggle. But people were upbeat and happy. And it... Things just seem more normal to me. And then having getting to engage with Trump, uh, you know, he just people ask me all the time, what's he like? What's he like? And I, he, he's like the guy I seen on TV. He's kind of gregarious and upbeat. Yeah, He's really fun. Uh, and he's actually really gracious. A good. So it's a good boss to have. Yeah, I, it's funny. I told him in the White House that uh, my mother couldn't stand him. <laughs> and so he gave me a gift to give my mother. Uh, and, really? and yeah, and my mother will be watching this right now because I never gave it to my mother because she hates him and I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't give it to her. It's, I think it's in the closet at my house. But anyway, I, I th- that's if 
he returns, are you going to return to working for Donald Trump? If he needed me or if there was a role that they needed filled, I would be happy to do it. I would do it in a heartbeat. I don't have any uh, intention of doing that, but of course I would and would love to. So from outsider's perspective, um, watching the amount of people inside of his own administration actively work against him, did you guys have an idea? You were there the first year and the last year. Did it, did you know some of these people shouldn't have been there? Because that seems yeah, like think, his biggest mistake. Yeah, I think the transition, there were some big mistakes. And I think um, there were people that were undermining him, which was a big problem. Most of those people got out. A lot of them got out by the end. So if a second Trump term wouldn't have that as, a, as big of an issue. The other big problem you have, though, is a lot of people that are pro-Trump aren't very active. You know, they're kind of just extras in a movie. They don't want to upset anything. So that's something they're going to have to work on is getting people active, yeah. recruiting new people to actually get the agenda, you know, pushed through. I think um, the first term was I good. can see that a lot of people are afraid to be pro-Trump because it's like, well, I can't, here's a bunch of places I'll never be able to work again. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and so that promotes a fear. But all right, uh, I want to talk about the real reason we have you here, and that's to talk about your dating app. So I'm going to run TJ out of here and bring uh, Tiffany and Jill Savage out here so we can talk about this dating app, which I'm, I want to be the spokesman uh, for this dating <laughs> You're app. You're hired. I, I can't believe, I, I'm telling you, I, nothing has been more exciting to me than this potential dating app uh, that will weed out all the crazy leftists. Uh, so stick around. Don't go anywhere. Go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit notifications. Hit subscribe. Jill Savage, Tiffany Owen, and Shemika Michelle. I wanna be, I just want. I wanna be, I just Today, we brought in a group of conservative young women and wanted to get their honest opinions about what they're looking for in the guys they date. What are you looking for in a partner? They just have to be a conservative. Definitely someone that wants to have kids. I like an independent man. Personally, I like the alpha male vibe. I want a man who really loves his family. Definitely someone whose faith is important to them. For me, it's someone who actually wants to meet my parents. Why do you want to date a conservative? For me, at least I know that we're going to start off with some shared values. Well, the conservative men I've dated at least know how to treat me like a woman. In my personal experience, conservative guys have better manners. I like that they understand their role in the relationship as a man. I just prefer my men to be masculine. And what's the biggest red flag when it comes to dating? A Democrat. No Democrats. A Democrat. Can't be a Democrat. A Democrat. That's easy. A Democrat. No Democrats. So no. (laughs) Find the right match. Download the right stuff today. All right, welcome back. That dating app, that commercial is why I'm so excited to have John McAtee here in studio uh, with us. Uh, When I first saw this, I was like, oh man, someone's thinking about me. And lo and behold, I I saw it, but I think before I got an email telling me that John would be in town and available. And so, uh, John, uh, we're gonna continue the conversation and talk about your app, Tiffany Odom. Jill Savage in studio with me. We've got some ladies here uh, to help me with the, the conversation and the discussion. So let's just start with a bit. Why did you start this? So the idea for the app was actually brought to us by our female friends who said what they want and all their girlfriends want is a dating app for conservatives. 
So me and my friends started thinking about this. We started thinking about our own experiences, especially using the apps. And if you're a single conservative, you're not being served well on the current platforms. Right now, conservatives are spread out. They're on a lot of different platforms. And they also kind of have to hide their beliefs on those platforms because of the hostility they face. So right now, we're spread out and we're hidden, making it impossible to find each other. What we want to do is just consolidate that, put everyone in one place where you can be yourself openly and where you know everyone there is kind of like you. Well, I'm sure they're not kind of like me, but I get what you're, I get your thoughts. <laughs> no one's like Jason. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of shocks me to hear that women are kind of the driving force. Do you feel this need, or does that surprise you? That does not shock me at all. Even living in a, two different red states before moving to Nashville, I was in Arizona and Texas, and I still wouldn't put like all my beliefs yeah. out on that because it just brings about like, you know, I don't want to deal with those conversations is the way that I viewed it. And I was like somebody who's on TV now and doing this, but even on the app at that point in time in red states, it still didn't feel like a warm, welcoming environment to just say, hey, everybody, I'm conservative because they would come at you. I'm someone that's never really used dating apps, but I proudly state that I am a Trump supporter. <laughs> you, you can go to my Instagram right now and it says Trump with an American flag behind it. But so if I was on there, I mean, I wouldn't hide it. But and I, I think someone that hasn't been on the apps currently, like yourself, would be shocked if they were to create a profile on another app where you see the liberalism and the leftism built into the platform. It's not that just everyone's hostile towards you. Obviously, they are. But it's that you know, that's built into the app. There are tags you can put, but they're only left-wing. You know, there are, there are causes you have to support to use the app sometimes, only left-wing. You know, so it's an unwelcoming environment and we just kind of need an alternative. So it's about a week or two weeks old. Has it launched? It's not even a week old. It's live in the app store, the right stuff. Anyone can download it and make a profile, but the app will open up sometime next week. Now we're doing it on an invite structure. Everyone gets two invites. Um, and we're starting out with a few thousand conservatives, people we know, people that signed up early, and uh, people we, we got from other conservative events, just because we want a controlled growth and um, we want it to be really high quality. Well, but, so you, you have to be invited to join the app? Yes. I mean, so as uh, the founder of the app, I can invite as many people as I want, you know, but it's yep. up to them to see how it grows, yeah. Hmm. The, uh, that's kind of, there's a, something called Raya or Raya. Anybody heard of this app? Yeah. Th that is invitation only. Th this is popular with Hollywood celebrities. I was out in LA a month or so ago and uh, a girl was telling me about it. I, I, I can't remember the celebrity she was talking about, but her best friend hooked up with and ended up marrying some <laughs> celebrity. And so, do you know anything about I know about this app, yeah. What we're going more for is like the clubhouse model. They grew to like three or four million people by an invite structure. We want to get as many people on as we can. We just want to make sure they're there for the right reasons. They're not doing anything misleading. They're not doing anything harmful. And um, I think you can still have a, a, a growth, but just a little more controlled. So do you think this will weed out the people that are on there for just wanting to hook up versus a relationship? I don't know. I think it'll be used for all types of dating, but I think the people that use it will be doing it in a more serious way. Um, I think it's for all conservatives. I think college kids might use it to find conservatives on campus. I think a young professional might use it to just go out on the weekend and have fun. And I think there will be the majority of people looking for something serious and uh, it will serve that purpose as well.
I'm all about parallel economies. I think that we need to build everything and have structures for anything conservative as well. So I'm actually pretty excited that there is something else even in the dating world, right? I wouldn't have thought that that would be one of the first things really tackled, right? Like they have like mobile phone services, now dating apps, and everything is kind of coming together uh, on, a, on a conservative side. Yeah, I mean, we're pretty excited about it. Obviously, alternative tech is becoming popular. We think we do need our own uh, place. It's unfortunate that the country's this hyper-political, but they've made it clear they want nothing to do with us, and uh, let's just see if they're sincere in that belief and they'll let us have our own thing. So, who, again, you said your friends. I know that Peter Thiel has partnered with you guys and you're financially partnered with you guys. Was he part of the idea or you recruited him to the idea? We brought the idea to him. So the, uh, the app is founded by me and my two friends who also worked in the Trump administration, Dan and Isaac. And I brought the idea to Peter as one of a few different options of just things I was thinking out that, that could work, that might have, you know, and I went through these four different things that I thought had a chance. And the last one was the dating app for conservatives. And he said, now that's the good idea. That's the one you go with. You do that one, I'll invest in it. So I said, hey guys, we're doing that one. Um, so we got him on board about a year ago. Having his buy-in gave us you know, obviously great encouragement and we've been working on it since. And so I would think others would have had this idea. Uh, have there been other yeah, people Yeah, it's tried been it? tried only a handful of times, one or two times, but the people that tried it, they didn't have the financial backing, they didn't have the team, they didn't have the capacity to do it full time. And when we talked to them, they said the response was amazing. The appetite for this thing is there. We just couldn't do it. You know, we didn't have the tech. We didn't have the, the team. So we think since we have the team and the tech and the backing that we're setting it up for a higher chance of success. Have you invited Tom Brady or Giselle Bungeon yet? No, but we would love to have, <laughs> have either of them on, of course. How do you weed out if a liberal was to get on your... So we're not going to police the invites. If someone's invited, they're in. Because you may know someone that's apolitical, but wants to end up with a conservative guy. Fine. If somebody gets invited, they're in. Now, if anyone makes a profile randomly and just wants to be a part of it, but doesn't know anyone on the app, doesn't know how to get an invite, they can message us. We'll figure out a way to get them on. We'll see what their intentions are. We'll get on as many as we can. The easiest way, though, is to just open it up, see who, what your, you know, which of your friends are on, and then get on that way. I wonder if there'll be a, a liberal version of, of this, which maybe all the other ones already yeah, are. Right. I don't yeah, think don't there they will have, be. I'm not on dating apps, but don't they have like the pronouns already? Was that yes. you that said that to me? Yeah. Yeah, I think I don't think there needs to be a they left pronoun one. I think website they're all, they're all left pronoun they're, dating they're, I mean, at some point, this next generation that's coming up, they're they're going to have to write those out if if you're on all those other platforms, but this one at least you're going to know John's going to be a man, I'm going to be a woman. That's the end of the story. Oh yeah. And I have to ask this and and no one who's watching read into this question. I just I just got to <laughs> ask because Peter Thiel's involved, so I, it's a conservative site, but it will be open to gay conservatives, I would, I would imagine as well, correct? So actually our first version right now is, um, that's not available. But we are open to that, of course, with, you know, who are backers. Peter Thiel, and, yeah, yeah, if there's a demand for it, we would do it. Being the first version of a dating app, though, we're kind of going with stage one. It's hard enough to make sure we get enough people in certain areas on, you know, so we're focused on just. I'm going to get ripped for saying this. 
but I love the fact that you're going this route initially. I, I really respect that. I, I, I'll get ripped for saying it. I, I, I'm not homophobic, but there does need to be a dating app environment for heterosexuals and for people with traditional values. And it, yeah, it's not that they're not allowed on, it's that men are shown women and women are shown men. So it's just not built for them. There's an app for everything. There is a gay app. There's a Jewish app. There's an app for everything. So we just want one for conservatives. At this point, John, I don't think there's, there's no amount of money I wouldn't pay to join this app. <laughs> I didn't even know you could do what you guys are doing here. I didn't know that was even legal. Uh, that's why I asked the question. But I, again, I would love to go to a dating app where it doesn't, I don't have to say, are you here a man seeking a man? Not. Nah, don't waste my time. No, I'm not. This is, and again, I, I, I'm going to get ripped either way, so I'm just, I, just, I said what I said, and I meant it. I'm a very, this is a very interesting uh, situation, and I, I, you know. So how are the profiles? Swipe right, swipe left, or? So it's a full screen profile, kind of looks like a TikTok almost, and uh, you get five photos. You can swipe up if you don't, aren't interested in the person, or you could like it, which is just sending a like, and you can uh, match with people that way. Um, each profile, you can add music, it's kind of fun. You can add prompts. We have conservative prompts, mainstream prompts, where you can tell a little bit more about yourself, some good conversation starters. And then we have the additional feature of being able to post a date, because we want to really emphasize getting people out, enough with just the messaging online back and forth. So if you have a good idea, if you have an extra ticket to a concert this weekend, post it, and somebody will say, I'll go, That's a meet cool with concept. them, get out. So we want to emphasize getting people out on real dates. I think that is the coolest thing for somebody that has been on dating apps before. Like you just go back and forth talking to people and it never goes anywhere because nobody's like, hey, what do you want to do? It, it just, right. it ends before it even gets anywhere. And so for the fact that you actually are able to go out, which is the whole point right. of the dating app. Yeah, so it's awesome. I, I think it'll give guys a leg up too because you know, a girl might take a chance and be like, wow, he's so fun and creative and I did want to try that new restaurant or whatever it is. I think it'll just really, you know, get people out. What's going to be your musical choice? If you were on the app, what, what's your song? Pearl Jam, release. Pearl Jam, release. I don't know that. I'll look it up. Jill, go ahead. Oh, my girl Taylor Swift is just right here. She's, she's just hanging out with us. <laughs> I can't help it. I know. She's a liberal. I don't care. Yeah, I loved, I mean, I loved her before. I loved her before we knew. Yeah. Eddie Vedder's a it's, liberal. Yeah, he's, ma he's making it hard just, for me to like him, but I've loved him since I was 10 years old. I mean, we were young. She didn't know yet. And then I liked her. What song by her? All of them. <laughs> yeah. John, are you on your own app? I am on my own app. Yep. What's, what's your song? My song currently is a Justin Bieber song called I'm the One or something or the One or whatever that one is. Hold it. Are you <laughs> Justin Bieber? Are you serious? <laughs> it's just, you know, I was flipping through and it was one that popped up, so I went with it. Um, maybe I'll change it to like Proud to be an American or something more on brand. Mm. Mm. Justin Bieber, boy, I, you, you kind of spooked me. With that <laughs> he was going to give you his whole to-do list. He's like, this man came in, gave me one of the greatest ideas. I need this. And now he's like, the you should put a song know. that defines you. Yeah. That kind like, of like Justin Bieber defines I don't think I Justin like, Bieber defines I do him. like the song. I had a actually. conversation you know with the him song out there. I'm talking about? Yeah, it's a good song. I, kinda I like don't it, know. Guys. What is it? Oh, I'm listening to this. I'm probably going to get in trouble yeah, for like, playing this Yeah, I was like, this is this copyright everything. Says ride the wave or I'll take you. <laughs> All right, I got, I, I got, I got that. Uh, 
I think I'll go with uh, Led Zeppelin, Whole Lot of Loving. Is that, is, am I right? Oh, that's a good one. It's <laughs> a good one. I may go that route. That, uh, I'll probably get in trouble for saying that too. Uh, so in release, it says, ride the wave where it'll take you. So you just ride that wave. Because if I started, Jodeci's my favorite group of all time. And if I started putting those, that. What that happened was, to Bon Jovi? Jodeci, I like Bon Jovi's album. Okay. Jodeci is my them and the Isley Brothers are my favorite group of all time. <laughs> but Jodeci songs are way too uh, sexualized for... <laughs> <laughs> for a dating app? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little over the top. So I'll, I'll, you know. Anyway, John, thank you so much thank for you. coming by. Thank you for building this app. Uh, this is very fascinating and interesting. I can't wait to see how this goes. I appreciate it. Hope to do it again. All right. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. We're going to go to Primetime Stein. Alex Stein, always on the grind. He's doing some MAGA rap concert in Chicago. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to Dallas, Texas and bring in Alex Stein. Primetime, on the grind, 99. Primetime. Alex, you there? Uh, I've been I, told. Always. How you gonna come on the show all suited and booted to talk about a rap concert? You're doing a I'm rap concert in Chicago. What Jason, I'm on the grind all the time. You think I'm gonna come here? But listen, I don't have any pants on, so you should feel fine. I had no shoes or pants on, so, <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not dressed that nice. So it's not that gotcha. nice. It's all an illusion. Oh, all right. Uh, well, primetime on the grind 99, always shining, always grinding. What are you doing out in Chicago? You and Bryson Gray and who else? Y'all putting on a rap concert? Yes, a guy named Forgiato Blow. It's kind of hard to say, and I, and I don't think it's uh, I hope it's not a reference to Booger Sugar. I hope not. And a guy named Tyson James. And the reason why I wanted to come on the show, though, and uh, plug it a little bit, it's it's uh, this Sunday the 9th in Lyle, Illinois. But Vice News will be there. They'll be there covering it. And, you know, I have all that beef with Tess Owens, and I know that you're kind of on top of that when I called her out at CPAC. So they're doing a special on MAGA rappers. So we'll just see. I'm the host, but I also have a song called Drag Queens with Bryson that I'll be singing. So well, all this will be posted on the Internet. But I just think, it, you know, it might be a viral story. You never know. I, I'm I'm guessing that it might be Tess Owen again at this event. So, you know, the sparks might fly, as they say, Jason. And so you have a rap song with Bryson Gray, who will be on this show next week. Yeah, and, and let me tell you what's good about Bryson Gray is he's he started off as a, a Christian rapper, and he doesn't cuss, he doesn't you know uh, talk about you know drugs or selling drugs, and they consider him a black white supremacist, all because he's a Trump fan, wears the MAGA hat, and you know he talks about you know uh, political you know topics. But for me, I just think it's kind of funny. It's like a guy that is clean, you know, is like literally the opposite of what the people in the rap game today uh, honor and uh, cherish is opposite of that. And because of that, he's evil because he doesn't, you know, encourage a life of debauchery and drugs and, and premarital sex. So I saw this flyer about this and, and you're kind of treated like you're the headliner. You're the first guy pictured above the fold, basically. Uh, I mean, this is kind of mind blowing. You've made such a name for yourself in the rap world that quickly uh, that you're kind of the headliner of the God Save America tour. Are, are, are you the headline rapper or are you the host of the event? 
Well, well, like I said, I'm the host, but I'm rapping too. I mean, come on, Jason. I, I go insane for the Ukraine. Gas price is way too high. Vladimir Putin's got to die. I mean, I got rap bars all day long. Better than Cheech and Chong. I mean, I got them all day. What can you say? Vaccinate the straight. Vaccinate the gay. I mean, I had the fight. I went viral with the Fauci Ouchie rap in January. You know, then I followed that up with the prayers for Ukraine rap. And then, of course, I had the, you know, stick me with a needle. Fauci's doing tests on the dog and the beagle. So, yes, I'm a rapper, extraordinaire, comedian, dancer, entertainer, lover, sports fan. I'm a, I'm a, uh, what do they call that, a renaissance man, Jason? A renaissance man, a man for all seasons. Uh, so, you've done a collab with Bryson Gray. Who's your next big rap star? If you could name any rapper that you wanted to collab with, who would be next on that list? Maybe we can make it happen. Well, you know who it is. It's Kanye West with his White Lives Matter shirt. Did you see that? I mean, I know I'm sure you've covered that, but just the idea that saying White Lives Matter is so controversial. And listen, of course, I want to help marginalized people, but Black Lives Matter, Patricia Cullors, the leader of it, bought you know multiple mansions, spent millions of dollars, and I don't know one single black person she helped. So for him to actually come out and say that, I don't think it's necessarily him saying White Lives Matter. It's just saying, hey, Black Lives Matter was a scam. And for that, I, I would love to collaborate with Kanye. I think he's the hottest uh, guy out there. Right now when it comes to the rap game well you know don't say he's a gold digger but he ain't messing with no broke <laughs> i'll let you say that i'm not gonna finish that one yeah yeah no <laughs> i mean so you gotta get your weight up if you want to you know rap with kanye you're gonna have to get your weight up you have to you know i know you just signed that big time new contract with uh tyler and the blaze uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps you are qualified. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about what you cook, what you got cooking up for the blaze in your own show. Well, well you know, I really appreciate you bringing uh, attention to that. I was going to text you and remind you, but I'm sure you're on top of it. So, yes, I signed a deal with the blaze and now uh, the contract starts 11 one. And with the election, I don't know if we're going to be able to get the show necessarily started, hopefully in November. But if not, definitely, I think by the beginning but the first of the year. And it's going to be the primetime Alex Stein show. It's going to be insane, kind of similar to Eric Andre's show. And I think it's going to highlight me not necessarily being a political show, but making fun of politics. And it's going to be very uh, unorthodox. It's going to be very experimental. And it's going to be like something you've never seen before, Jason. I, I could see it. And don't let me, you know, you're the genius here. Don't let me put thoughts in your head. But I could see you kind of as the conservative Stephen Colbert. And, and you know, I, I, I think that's who you are. And that's exactly what it is. It mixed with a little bit of Ali G, you know, kind of just LARP as these, you know, just it's culture jamming where I'm almost going to play a liberal and I'm going to invite people on my show. Hopefully not with the same political leanings, because I'm so sick of that. And kind of similar to what, you know, you were famous for doing almost the sports debate show, but but a debate show where they might not know they're debating me. <laughs> kind of like a hidden debate show. It's going to be unusual. It's going to be weird, but I, you really have your finger on the pulse. I want it to be basically a, a twist on what Colbert used to do when he pretended to be a fake conservative, because that show was wildly successful. So if I can even just you know piggyback that at all, that would be a big success for me. Stein, you just jet set all over the country, man. Every time I look up on social media, you're in a new city, you're trolling somebody new everywhere. How often are you home in Dallas? 
It's hard. I'm not home enough. My cats go crazy. And, you know, it's funny you say that. That's a really good question because I'm planning my next trip. I think in November, I think I'm going to go to London and I want to go see the mayor, uh, Sadiq Khan, because I didn't realize they have a, they have where you can ask questions to the mayor in London. It's pretty accessible and you can film there. So I think that's my next stop. I think I think primetime 99 ever since the Blaze deal. Now we got to go um, international. And I think I also want to go to Buckingham Palace and kind of talk about Prince Andrew and some of his business dealings with Jeffrey Epstein. I think it could be good. I think we got to take the brand worldwide. So uh, London is in my crosshairs next, Mr. Whitlock. I, I did not see you as a cat person, uh, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I got it right please here. Please elaborate oh, and explain. Oh, oh, oh. Please, are you kidding? I talk so fast most. Oh, oh, oh. Oh. I knocked over my microphone. Oh. I'm, I know. I'm trying to get my cat. This is what I'm doing. Jason, this is Sky Bear. This is the number one ranked cat out of all my cats. He's the king of the conspiracy castle. You see that white under tummy, tummy right here? This is a custom. And look at this cat control. Look, at I got full control, Jason. A lot of people have a cat. They don't have that. And there's a parasite in the cat's fecal matter that causes you to turn into a crazy cat lady. And I have it. It's called toxoplasmosis. But very rarely do you see this on TV or anywhere, a man that can have this much control of a cat i mean i have him fully submitted to my will uh jason and that's because i'm a, i'm like ace ventura the pet detective but the cat detective so you don't like I'm, I'm dogs go- alex no i got a dog you too like dog? I, got, I got a big stinky dog too but the best thing about a cat this is the difference between a dog and a cat my cat's going crazy a dog will kiss a dog's kind of like a stripper you know they'll dance for anybody they'll sniff your derriere they'll come and they'll kiss you and they'll hug you but a cat is like a supermodel you have to work for its love you have to give it treats you have to bite a nice collar and once you do that love is a lot more special more special than the love of a stripper so it's just it's a little apples and oranges game uh and you have to earn it and you know i i like to work for it jason he, he takes shots at you every time he comes on the show what? Yeah, how did, TJ, how did I take time. a show? Oh. <laughs> Every time he comes on the show. No, no but that's because I like strippers too. Oh, oh, and this is the last thing. Jason, this is the last thing I'd leave you with. Uh, so, so a guy you got to have on the show, because I know you're a Howard Stern fan. I've become friends with Bubba the Love Sponge. Bubba the Love Sponge invited me when you called me. I was at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game at Dr. Uh, Dan Diaco. His dad was the team doctor. And inside the, inside the box, Warren Sapp came in there, got uh, completely inebriated, and ended up getting in a fight with the Diacos and getting kicked out. And uh, Bubba the Love Sponge is right in the middle of it. So if you ever want to get him on to tell this story, it's an incredible story. I was there, but uh, he was like right in the mix of it. So, uh, you know, I really would love to connect you. You know, Bubba, Bubba the Love Sponge is, it with Warren. Bubba got into yes. it with Warren Sapp. Yes, this, this, Pat, you know, the, the opening guy. day. I'll have to ask him about that. I'll, I'll have, have you ask Warren oh, yeah. Sapp's my That's guy. A- that's what I'm saying. And Warren was being so nice to everybody. It was so crazy. And then, and then, but Bubba was the one that really tried to stop it. It was, it was Warren and another guy. Bubba was Switzerland, but he was right there. I mean, I think that's why it, what happened was is Bubba and Warren were talking, and somebody tried to interject, and Warren got a little mad at the person, and it, and the guy got mad back at him, and uh, it was a it was a mess. It was a mess in uh, Tampa, Florida. Yeah, Warren can be a little testy. He's he's. We well, should get Warren hand, and Bubba on. Like that would be viral. You yeah. ought to get them on to tell their both sides. I can get Bubba on. If you got Warren on, that would be epic, Jason. That'd be good content. <laughs> Primetime Stein. Keep grinding. We'll see you in Chicago this weekend. Uh, good luck. Tell Bryson Gray. Look forward to seeing him next week. Thank you. See you, TJ. Right. That's see it. you, Jason. All right, yep. uh, That's it, and that's all for us. Uh, good show. Uh, another day in the books. We here tomorrow. That means we'll see you tomorrow.